people are now a little more bold to wear their fillings on their shirt because they know that there's more people in their community that are open to what they believe in. So I think it fuels it again for the good and bad when you're doing good campaigns and raising money for causes or if it's to promote your racist viewpoint. Someone brought us rubble from the Twin Tower and here at our office was like, I'm not okay with that. And so we had the ability to go back to the distributor and say, okay, what is this? Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. This is Mark Graham, and I'm joined by Kate Plummer and Jeremy Picker. The premise of today's podcast is to discuss the relationship between promotional products and current events. We spend a lot of time reminding end clients why promotional products are an effective marketing strategy. However, we often find ourselves fighting an uphill battle when we see some end clients dismiss our medium as trinkets and trash. But what happens when our medium is too effective, when it moves audiences in ways that are uncomfortable for some people? We have seen examples of this in the last few weeks with the use of branded merchandise as a rallying force at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, or Facebook's discouraging its employees from wearing company merchandise lest they be the subject of attacks, or Shopify's decision to take down Trump's MAGA store. Our industry has evolved considerably over the years, thanks to advances in technology like print-on-demand, just-in-time inventory, e-commerce, no minimums, direct-to-garment printing, our industry has been able to respond to current events with unprecedented speed. The result is a new relationship with our medium that allows for us to break out of the confining trinkets and trash category. And a big part of this discussion is how we feel about our new role in these world events. So with that, I'd like to welcome Kate and Jeremy to the episode. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me, Mark. Appreciate it. So what do each of you think about our medium and how it is depicted on the global stage now? Jeremy, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I think in ways it's good for our industry, seeing the blow we took last year. But, you know, I think this is something that I've kind of always believed in the power of merchandise. Now I'm kind of new to the promo space. You know, I'm only going on four years, but before that, the apparel side and a lot of these topics, you know, have to do with the apparel. It's interesting to see that whenever there's something good that is created, there will always be bad that comes from it. Someone will find a way to trample it or to use it for their agenda. So I'm not surprised because the power of merchandise done well or not done well, you know, causes joy or causes controversy. So I think this is going to show people or a case study of if you brand and if you produce the right kind of campaigns that you could actually create these communities and build up these organic ideologies that people are really seeing that, well, it's more than just my beliefs in speaking out on Reddit and just trashing people. People are now taking that and wearing that 
which is crazy to me on both sides, but it really is going to be interesting to see people really know that, hey, you've been telling me the power of it. Now I'm finally seeing it and it's all free press (laughs) for the industry, good and bad. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Kate? How do you see things? I'm so fascinated by it because you can see how quickly it's going. I've been born into this industry, basically. So I've been very used to explaining what my dad does and, you know, oh, pens, t-shirts, right? And this is what technology has kind of grown to is way more than that. You know, you have merch, so you have iconic pieces that start to define it. I mean, we have the red caps for Make America Great, and then you see them in smaller ways. You see like podcasts coming out with their own merch lines. I really like how the podcast network Crooked Media does their merch because they tie it into slogans and then, you know, they send it out and they make it a big deal. So you're seeing people look at merch and even just the language of merch from trinkets and trash to swag to merch has changed as well. But you're seeing them take it and use it in so many different ways. And the way technology has kind of come in has made it easier. So you can do print on demand, you can do smaller runs of things like whereas before just doing molds would be so hard and you can 3D print a piece and get that into making a mold rather than like hang carving. It's so interesting on so many different levels how people are changing and adapting. Even production minimums are lower than what they used to be. So you don't have to commit to deep inventory on anything. You're just like, yeah, I can do 12 of that. And yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting, but it's what becomes bad about it is when you can have anything printed on a t-shirt, <laughs> what do you print? A hundred percent. And I think the two of you bring up some really interesting points about how promotional products, when done well, does such an effective job at activating communities and tribes. And I think that we, for the longest time, have been so proud of our role as a medium in activating these tribes and these communities and these groups of fans that will literally wear your shirt and will promote your business and brand to other people. And what I found so interesting about monitoring these events is that that's exactly what is happening here. But what makes it different is that it's divisive. There's controversy around it. So there's one thing to say, Kate, you give this great example of Crooked Media. Crooked Media comes out with a merchandise shop people go and produce and proudly wear their sweatshirts and t-shirts. They walk around and there's happy feelings about that. And we get to be very proud of our role in providing that emotional connection with that particular community. However, I feel we probably feel different about our role when it comes to some of these other things that are more polarizing. And that to me is really what has struck me about my role in this industry. I don't really know there's a question in there as much as that's just a comment and an observation based on what the two of you said. It's interesting because it is one of those, like, what do you wear with pride? Like, I remember seeing right when everything was happening at the Capitol and there was a tweet from a reporter and someone was going, oh, we didn't know this was planned because they had merch. Right. And my first thought was, well, not if it's DTG, then it's pretty fine. They probably turned it around really quick, which probably shows that I spend too much time in this industry. But it is that everyone's very much about tribes here. And so is it a good thing that we're all getting tribal markers on? Is that like the right phrase that I can use in this phrase? But 
you know, that we're getting markers for who defines us as who we are and what defines the other as other. Where do we do that? I think there's always been that rebel aspect to apparel. You know, I think when you look 20, 30 years ago, the punk rock movement, there was no access to DTG or really screen printing a lot of people. They were doing it themselves with markers and paint. And they were showing that their anarchist, anti-establishment philosophies, and they were doing it themselves. With that technology, it's just easier to get your feelings and thoughts on something wearable, like you said, one to two days, if not overnight. So I think it's always been there. It's just, you know, with the internet and with the technology, it's just people are now a little more bold to wear their feelings on their shirt because they know that there's more people in their community that are open to what they believe in. So I think it fuels it again for the good and bad when you're doing good campaigns and raising money for causes or if it's to promote your racist or anti left or right viewpoint. So I think it's always been there. Now it's more accessible to everyone. Right. Jeremy, I wanted to get your perspective as a distributor, because I know you do a lot of apparel. That's really how you've made your name in this industry. Could you talk about the evolving nature of technology in the promotional products industry and how that has allowed you to do quicker, more nimble, maybe more creative and daring work? I'm trying to build a bridge between some of what you're about to say with what we've seen in some of these larger campaigns that we just referred to at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. So I think there's probably a couple reasons. I think the order management software and the CRMs has allowed companies like ourselves to do more in less time. So obviously your company is built on streamlining the process. How can we minimize errors? Because the more errors there are when there's human involvement, you know, the more time you're going to have to spend and that's going to keep you away from processing new orders or turning projects quicker or aligning the manufacturing floor to be lean. I know in my business, it's helped double, triple my business when I went from pen and paper or to Excel spreadsheets to a pipeline and automated tasks and, you know, follow-ups that has helped me do more, which allows my customers to have a quicker turn because the orders are coming in, going out from the factory quicker. So I think that is a big one. And then, like you said, DTG, you know, I'm a screen print snob at heart, but when COVID started, I tried to expand my mind. How can I sell a t-shirt at the end of the day? Because I wasn't selling t-shirts, it kind of forced my hand to say, all right, well, if my philosophy and my goal in life is to help people create better shirts, how can I do that? DTG, I've always wanted to push it away. I'm still not a fan of like the overall quality. I get it for ease, quick turn, full colors, but I didn't want anything to do with it. And I was saying with promo, you know, that's why I got into it. I never wanted to be, I just wanted to be t-shirts and hoodies. Well, now millions of people are doing DTG. So how can I bring my kind of fashion and retail background and snobbity, (laughs) whatever you would call it, from screen printing into the DG. How can I help people make better shirts when it comes to DTG, which design, 
picking the right colors, et cetera. So I think that technology is allowing, you know, you see the Teesprings, the custom inks to be able to not even talk to a person, you know, and that's kind of my philosophy is like, are you creating widgets? Are you creating something wearable? In my opinion, while it allows people to sell t-shirts, which is fine, there's plenty of people making money. I don't necessarily consider it building brand because you're so limited. It's like going to Papa John's. It's like getting a pizza with just the crust and maybe like two or three pepperonis. You know, I'm saying there's so much more to building a brand and and creating merchandise that is so layered that no one taps into. It's like a necessary evil in my life of DTG, but I'm learning more about it. And if I can help people that don't want the inventory, that don't have the audience, you know, make it easier for them to sell merch, then I'm all on board. So I know I went off on a little tangent, but it's allowed with connecting the software, the CRMs, the order management to DTG. It just allows someone that would need a hundred employees down to 10 because now all you need is one or two customer service and then the people running the DTG machines and everything else is automated. Right. Yeah. The interesting thing too is how the changes like that have made speed to market even bigger. So that idea of like, we'll use the meme that blew up so fast is the Bernie meme of him at the inauguration. And all of a sudden (laughs) it's everywhere. Like people were doing crochet beanie, like Bernie's. And then he raised $1.8 million by selling that image on a sweatshirt. Like that's amazing, which in a year from now, is that joke still going to be funny? Who knows? But the fact that he was able to tap into a moment so quickly and so fast is that's, you know, people knowing what stock is, designing it. We have the technology graphic wise. We don't have to figure out whether or not it test Mm -hmm. prints or anything. You just throw it up on a website and you sell what you can when you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Without the inventory risk. Yeah. Which is amazing, right? There's no question that could have been done, say, 15, 20 years ago, but whoever was producing that merchandise would have had to take a big inventory position. They'd put it up on some clunky website, you know, even if something like that existed. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly social media didn't exist, say, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But you're right. It's absolutely amazing how this can be a force for good. I think that probably all of us would agree that someone tapping into a meme, whether they're a political leader or a celebrity or whoever, tapping into a meme and then putting it out on social media and then having people purchase the product, which reinforces that tribal nature, and then raising money for a great cause. I think we could all agree that's fantastic. And I think that's a wonderful news part of this, because I think that there's been a lot of ambivalence about some of the other things that we just talked about. But that, Kate, I'm so glad you brought that up. Kate, I wanted to get your perspective because you're a supplier and you're on the front lines of innovating through technology. I know at Clearmount, you're not in the apparel world. But how have you seen technology from a supplier standpoint reduce your time to market and some of the things you've been able to produce for customers that you might not have been able to do even five years ago because of setups and lead times? That's so interesting in so many different ways. So there's one aspect of it, technology, something like the Bernie thing is that if you hold product, like if you hold inventory, forecasting just I'm not going to use a rude word, but it just gets ruined. Yeah. You can't forecast surges like that. Like these inventory doesn't get made overnight. Like it's not all of a sudden you go from 
you've got a thousand hoodies in stock, but guess what? The burning meme came up and you now need to sell 10,000. Like those aren't immediate turnarounds. So I see that having a larger impact. And I think there's a real skill set to forecasting inventory or limiting it that way. And that's more interesting. I will say one of the joys about technology is that your turnaround time for ideas comes really quick. And then your feedback on your ideas is even faster. Right. Like we launched a new product line and I was like, okay, I need to design this. I need to photograph it. And then I can put it up. I make a quick catalog with it, plan out everything. Like the longest time was really just laying out the mini catalog we did for it. And I think that's one of the good things, especially now, like apparently there's some large suppliers that have just decided not to do a catalog this year. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. And they're going with different platforms. Zoom. Canva has it, Flipbook, Zoom catalog, they're all set up for it. And so yeah. that's what's interesting is like the things we used to depend on are no longer required. Yeah. One aspect I'd love to get into is because of that, where are the gatekeepers? Mm-hmm. So do we have gatekeepers? Do we have people saying like, no, you have to be more thoughtful about this or you can't have a store? I mean, in the past, Mark, you and I have talked about the influx of crickets and (laughs) not the bug, but the desktop laser engraver and vinyl printer. Yeah. You know, that kind of makes someone go from not being able to create merch or promo to being able to do that. But Do we gatekeep that at all to the point of being like, well, you're not real promo because you're not adding into a brain or how do distributors separate themselves from that? So I'd love to get both of your thoughts on that. Jeremy, I'm fascinated to get your perspective. Why don't you start? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the barrier to entry is so low. I talk about this a lot on the screen printing side is that for screen print equipment manufacturers, it's great for them because anybody can start a screen print business. Yeah. But for the industry, it's should they? <laughs> and it just waters things down. And so, you know, I think that's just natural progression as things become cheaper and marketing shows people that they can start their own business. But it is pushing, I think, things to a lower kind of race to the bottom because there's more options you know, someone was always willing to do it cheaper, but then it lowers, I think, that value of that product and t-shirts are a great example of that. But I think as far as the gatekeeper of what comes through your organization, you know, you have to establish that at the culture level because the people that are owning the business and it was their vision, the people that are doing the press checks or customer service, they aren't necessarily going to catch that like an owner would. And so, you know, there's been things in the past that I've seen that if I didn't catch it or look at an email that came through, I would have saw that, well, I don't necessarily want to produce merchandise for this company. And I know that's super controversial. There's been a lot of things with that. But I think as more people get into the industry and there's, you know, like you said, a laser machine, you could have DTG in your house there's always going to be someone that's willing to do it. Yeah. One financially. And then there's going to be like-minded people that have those communities that are on these forums to say, people are like, Oh, that would make a cool t-shirt. And then someone's going to say, Hey, I have a DTG printer. I can make it. Right. And whether it's for racist stuff or for charity stuff, you know, I think 
that eliminates gatekeepers in a lot of ways because people are doing it as a hobby, not just for a business. Right. The other aspect of it is, you know, people see an image, really like it, and then just print it on a t-shirt without paying the artist for it. Yeah, absolutely. I remember at times as a distributor, I'd get Disney artwork that would come in from some customer, maybe some small business I was working with. And they were like, oh, it would be kind of fun to have like Mickey Mouse on the left sleeve. Like, come on, you can do that. And of course, I could have done it, right? That wouldn't have been very hard. Yeah. For the record, I never did it. But it's amazing, right? <laughs> you get all that stuff. That's licensed stuff that goes through some of these dark channels. That specific example goes into the knowledge of creative. And I think, you know, a lot of people in our industry, they don't even have art departments. So they don't necessarily know how to flag some of that stuff because their branding, you know, they don't have trademarks and they don't understand that. So I think that education and what a lot of my content is that design. If you are knowledgeable about that, because it could come back and bite you if the wrong people get a hold of it. Yeah, you get your cease and desist, but you never know if your customer is going to put it on you to say that was okay to print. Right. So I think that education of creative and trademarks and copyright is important that we really don't talk a lot about in our industry yeah. because it's like we maybe push it on the customer. Well, if they get busted, but ethically that is an interesting point to bring up about not doing it, but there'll always be someone that will do it. <laughs> unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually where you get a lot in writing being like, just so you know, not okay with this. Yeah, exactly. So Kate, I'm fascinated by your question about gatekeepers. And I feel like there's a couple of different ways that we could address this. But the one thing that popped to my mind when you talked about gatekeepers is, are we looking at a gatekeeping organization like ASI and PPAI and PPPC in Canada? When I say gatekeeper, I don't mean a bad way, but these are organizations that uphold standards for the industry that will have certain criteria. It's not a huge amount of criteria, but it's some criteria to be considered a member in these organizations. And so my first kind of comment and thought is, do you think that some of the merchandise that was produced, okay, so Jeremy, you were mentioning some racist merchandise that had been mm-hmm. produced, and I am going to take a very strong stand here and say that racist merchandise is bad merchandise and has no place in our industry. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go out and let them say that. Do you think that the production of merchandise like that happens as ASI and PPAI maybe their influence reduces an environment where technology can empower really anyone to produce this merchandise. So another way of considering that is, do you think if someone was a member of ASI or PPAI that they would be less likely to be producing or trying to produce merchandise like this? And the reason this is happening is because it really is the Wild West now. Kate, what do you think? I just think about this in terms of Again, how quickly things can come to market Yep. from a supplier standpoint. We've had jobs in the past where it was weird and we're just like, mm, not really sure about this. Like one example was someone brought us rubble from the Twin Towers. Right. Interesting. And here at our office was like, I'm not okay with that. And so we had the ability to go back to the distributor and say, okay, what is this? 
he wants to do a ton of them. So what is he doing here? And it turned out it was a firefighter who was on ground zero, who was working at the Twin Towers. And he and everyone in his firehouse wanted to have something to commemorate the moment. So it was like that really powerful thing. But we had that breathing room to go back to the distributor and say, what is this? Like, pause. So I wonder whether or not the way technology has come in is that you think of 24-hour turnaround service. So how empowered are the customer service reps who see the artwork, if it's going out without a proof, or even the production people? You know, you have, and I'm using the worst example out there right now, is the camp out sweaters. Yep. So if they did 24-hour turnaround, where are the safeguards within a company to kind of stop it if it's a bad print? Or is the goal is to move the order through so fast that you don't have empowered staff to step up and say, no, not this one? Yep. Or even just say, going back to them and saying, what is this? Like, why are we printing this? So. That would be my multiple concerns because I'm with you in that racist merchandise should not be out there at all and has no role in our industry. But how do you empower your staff to say no to jobs? Yeah. One of the things I was seeing on LinkedIn is about Teespring and having that up. And the CEO, Chris, I think, Lamontage, he came out with a press release that they shut it down and they're coming up with things. But there is a human that puts that shirt on a DTG printer and pulls it off. Someone that folds the shirt, well, maybe not folds it, but at least, you know, quality controls it, you would think. But yep. there's a couple humans that touch that. So I think that total quality management, kind of that Toyota philosophy of everyone is part of this process, not just the order taker or the manager or the CFO. Yep. Everyone has to be educated on what this company stands for and what it doesn't stand for and what it won't push forward. Even if it's the other agenda, you know, I think somewhere there has to be regulations because that person is probably making minimum wage. So they, at the end of the day, they really don't care unless they know that this is against our company policy. And if you let this go through there's consequences to that. So, right. you know, to say that, well, it's our algorithms that didn't catch it is a cop out a little bit because humans did touch it. And so I saw another one that said free Kyle, you know, that kid that was in one of the BLM rallies and it's all over this article on a news station. They're promoting it in a way by showing this shirt that people are trying to set this guy free who murdered two people, whether you believe it was right or not, he still murdered someone and people are promoting that with t-shirts to help him get out of prison. It's just crazy. So again, I think because the barrier of entry for equipment is so low, there's no pre-qualifying, again, to be a hobby, to do it in your house. Yeah. Because then if everyone in our industry shuts it down, someone will still produce it because anyone can buy equipment. There's obviously a market in it. And to your original point is Shopify closing down the mega store. Who decides what's there? How do you figure out your algorithms for it as well? I think here in Canada, the Proud Boys were just declared a terrorist organization, yeah. which means it's illegal to sell or buy their merchandise. And so that's a very clear line. Right. But then you have on Etsy, like Etsy right now, while well, it has been for a while, is dealing with the, I think it's the Boogaloo Boys. And one of the markers of their community is Hawaiian print. 
So there's a ton of Hawaiian print on there that if you look at the code words that they're using is very coded towards the Boogaloo Boys. Right. But, you know, where's the person going, no, that's not what we're aware about. This is, has to be taken down. Who becomes the arbitrator in that one? Yeah, you're right. And Jeremy, is it the press operator that is, you know, I'm not suggesting they don't want to do a great job, but yeah. they're also measured on output and productivity. And yeah, the pressure. Jeremy, you'd mentioned a little while ago about how there's this big trend in the world of software and integration happening in our industry. And to some extent, I kind of wish I could call John Norris onto the podcast right now because he's, of course, one of the great advocates for promo standards, which mm -hmm. is a great initiative that democratizes the transfer of information between all sorts of different providers. And you think about the goal of something like promo standards, it means that a distributor can conceivably place an order directly with a supplier like Clearmount or Starline or HIT or PCNA or Sanmar, whoever. And the goal of it is that it goes directly into the supplier system. So no human has to spend time reviewing it, right? Because that costs money. And there's all sorts of good things that come from that. You get information that comes back. You don't have to call and see whether the order was received. <laughs> you don't have to worry about art proofs. And the supplier can get it out really quickly. And it means that distributors and suppliers, because of that efficiency, can do so much more business. So that is mm -hmm. like no question the dream of our industry. But when you then discuss, well, what does that mean that now anything goes, any t-shirt order could go into hit that could potentially promote some terrible racist phrase and hit would never see it because it's literally just being operated by their system and they're doing everything that's right. But then this falls through the cracks. What do we do about that? It's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's scary. Again, it's always been my philosophy of the power of merchandise. When I toured with bands, I saw that firsthand at live events. Yep. The energy of the event drove people to purchase merchandise, whether they could afford it or not. They waited in line, they bought it, wanted to have a memory, but it's a tangible thing for an experience that otherwise would just be in your memory bank. And so, you know, I think it's only going to get worse, <laughs> unfortunately, that yeah. with live event merchandise, you have DTG printers. Yeah. People can upload and pick what they want or those apps where you could take a picture. On site. Yeah. You can color it and push print and then it prints. And so I don't know if it'll ever get standardized, but there's going to be an education that should come, at least in our industry, that is, you know, you're under the umbrella of ASI or Sage or PPAI. Yep to be aware of those things and to educate your staff on it. Because at the end of the day, most of them are the ones that are doing the heavy lifting when it comes to producing the merchandise. So I think that's one aspect of it. But then how free is free speech? Well, the racists have shirts, but then also the people that hate our president can promote merchandise, which is anti, you know, that free speech could bite us in the butt in certain aspects. And so in order to be woke, a term that I'm necessarily normally using, but to be woke and to open your mind to other beliefs and other ideals, it also goes the other way. Like I know that there was a printer in the Midwest that wouldn't print, you know, a same-sex wedding t-shirt or something. Yeah. And it blew up and, you know, people sending them death threats. But then on the other side of it, 
would you want to give your money to someone who doesn't believe in your whatever you believe in? And so, you know, I think the consumer gets to choose who they give their money to and the manufacturer gets to choose who they work with. I just think there has to be a balance. It can't just be, well, manufacturers can't choose who they want to work with, but buyers can. So I don't know. I'm trying not to get deep into that, but it was just interesting. And I think there was even an interview that the people who first complained, they didn't think it was going to get so out of hand that, you know, at the end of the day, he didn't want to print our stuff. And I don't necessarily want to support a business that doesn't support things that I believe in. So I think it's going to go on both sides and there's going to have to be a line drawn or I don't know. I think it's just as we niche out more and as Reddit, you know, allows people to go in dark rabbit holes, it's only going to become more niche and you're going to find your community and you want to represent that community for good or bad. Yeah. Like right now you're right in that people are going to choose companies that reflect their values. Like one of the interesting things about BLM and every political thing that happened was that you had massive organizations coming out with statements. And before it would have been very much of keep your head down, don't be noticed. And now it's silence on certain issues is considered siding with that. That's what I find really interesting is that brands right now and companies right now have the ability to define themselves so well that they can start to attract people that are close to them. So same-sex marriage then is that you define yourself as LGBTQ friendly, LGBTQA friendly, and you define yourself as, you know, we're an open one. These are the things we stand for. Then people who want to work with you like that will find you. Mm -hmm. And that will be something that helps you stand out more than it will anything else. And so I think that's where the good in technology is that you're able to find like-minded people. But again, the bad side of that is that we become more siloed in our echo chambers and groups that we don't look for something different. One thing I've been thinking about as the two of you have been speaking is relating the promotional products medium to the path that social media has taken over the last 15 years. Bear with me as I make this point here. So you think about when Twitter and Facebook and to some extent Reddit all started, you know, the better part of 15 years ago, YouTube as well. It was like utopia. It was, we're connecting the world. We're democratizing information. We're tearing down the gatekeepers of the media. You know, now everyone has the ability to have a say. And, you know, there was Arab Spring and there was just all this optimism around how this amazing tool was given to the people that before was owned by the man or the gatekeeper, so to speak. And that was certainly the narrative that I think really drove the initial widespread adoption of social media tools. And then, of course, the bloom kind of came off the rose and there became all these challenges around, like, let alone privacy, but then all these challenges around how these tools were really creating these niche communities and radicalizing people and creating these pockets of hate on the internet that was actually creating a far worse situation than what had been intended 15 years before. So this is a very rough parallel here, but it's one that I'm trying to make in my mind. It's almost as though I feel with the promotional products industry, with the democratization of technology, with all the things we've been talking about, and the fact that 
literally anyone can get into the industry. They don't need to be part of PPAI or ASI. The genie's out of the bottle on that. Whether on one hand, that gives this incredible shot in the arm to our industry and validates our medium as this incredible advertising product, that's on the good side. But then the other side, it's got this dark side to it, like this radicalization, the fact that literally anything can be printed on a t-shirt. Like if I'm going to reject the order at my distributorship, as you say, Jeremy, someone can walk across the street and go get some horribly racist thing printed with some guy that's going to do it for them. And so my point is, I'm wondering if our industry in the next couple of years will have its social media moment, the one where like the utopia side of our industry starts to be challenged because of some of these polarizing images and designs that are being printed on this medium that really brings out some terrible behavior. So that's a bit of a riff there, a bit of a ramble, but I'm really interested in how something starts off as a great thing, and then the bloom starts to come off the rose, and then all of a sudden we need the gatekeepers to come in and police it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Another way to think of gatekeepers is guardrails. Like, how are we putting those up for it? But mm-hmm. I would have to say, is I feel social media, yes, all its problems, every form of technology has its problems. If you've launched a new technology and you don't think of the problem with it, you need someone to talk to. Yep. But I would argue that what's been really good is it has exactly, as you said, democratized what we can do. Is that a small company kind of can swing really hard on it versus you know, it used to be like, there's still gatekeepers and guardrails on certain things. But one thing I love right now, it's amazing how well they're doing on TikTok. Small business or manufacturers are posting videos on TikTok and they're blowing up. Yeah, I was watching one and it was this girl and she does these embroidered designs and someone had commented, why are these so expensive? I could do this at home. (laughs) So she broke down the cost of her machine, the cost of the technology, the cost of the thread, how long it took. So she's costing out her time. And she's like, okay, you go do it at home. (laughs) And it's that attitude. It's like what I really like about TikTok right now is that it is videos where people show the work that goes into a product. And as a manufacturer, I love this even more. But when they show the work and the value that goes into a product, it gives people an idea beyond that, well, I can get it cheaper. Is like you see the quality of the work even more than if you were just looking at a picture. That's a great point. I haven't even thought about, you know, how suppliers should be utilizing TikTok. I think that's brilliant because it does show that DIY, like it's human made. Today, I listened to Jeremy Lott and Tim Andrews, yeah. their ASI keynote. I learned so much. I wasn't expecting that because, you know, there's a lot of things that I feel like are entry level, but like Jeremy was breaking down the factories in Pakistan that are cutting and sewing and then the dye house and then the yarn and then the cotton and then trying to find containers to ship it over. And like yeah. when you start breaking down a t-shirt touches all of that, it really does show that, wow, you know, especially for the younger generation who actually cares, yep. you know, about the supply chain and who makes it. I think we as an industry need to be that voice to promote that, not just because we want to sell more expensive shirts or this or that. It's, man, think about all the people that are affected by this $1.50 shirt versus 
an ethically made $4.50 shirt. So I think that's brilliant that suppliers, I think, are only seeing TikTok as dancing, not as a creative outlet to show their whole manufacturing process and what goes into it and the people behind the curtain. I love it. Yeah. What a great point. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things is that even in small ways, like I'm not telling everyone go get on TikTok because you could do very well in it and you can just be like, I think only my my friends look at this or my only my mom looks at this. You're telling everyone to get on Clubhouse, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I have opinions on Clubhouse. (laughs) Everyone else seems to be there. But I think as well, I mean, Kathy Chung at Redwood started Factory Friday and a few other suppliers. And she just posted on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, the standard social media. And she got traction on that. And a lot of other suppliers have jumped in on it as well, just sort of seeing the value in the behind the scenes, like the value in the work. Yep. Even I have to say, like, we do it occasionally. And I get more responses on production photos than I always do on the finished product, finished piece. Yeah. Because people want to engage with that. And it's the same way as like Snugs has invested a ton of money in their videos and have done a great job showing exactly as you said, Jeremy, is like the touches. Like how many times does this product get touched to get to you? And, you know, why do you want it to be cost less? Because less care goes into it. I think everyone should learn the labor Mm -hmm. that goes into things because you get a greater appreciation for the product that you have and what it means and what the price point to sell it at too. Yeah. Yesterday I heard Kate, right? You were talking with Roger about his give back to the wounded warriors and someone asked him for a quarter less and he's like no you don't get this product for a quarter less and still get the story and he stuck to his guns on the price because if you want to utilize a story whether you truly care or not or you just want to use it as press then you're gonna have to pay for it and i love that what we do is worth something especially when that give back component, you know, the all made shirt is, listen, this is actually helping families, you know, get out of poverty and get educated and get medical help. There's a reason it's this price. And so I like that if you want the store, you pay the price. But also, yeah, it's the print on demand, you know, no human touch it or a lot of distributors that I know that are on common skew. They are agencies. They actually touch and know and they're experts and they bring their expertise to it. The reason it might be a little more expensive is because you're getting their experience and education and they're eliminating those learning curves that you would do if you went direct. And so where our industry is going, you know, I think people have been resting on their laurels. And I think all of this that comes to light, whether, you know, it's COVID or what we're talking about today at the end of the day, if you're not bringing value, you're going to get weeded out. And the marketplace is, has made that clear. You know, when you look at Netflix and Blockbuster, like you got to think it through. We're not just selling a product. It's now gone way deeper than that. Yeah. Sometimes people can be very slow to adapt to technology in this industry. And people want to have less touches to their process. So, how do you, as a company, justify your value when? you're just adding more touch points to everything. I mean, it's something I think of as everything we do is custom. So I can't really just point them to the website and say, yeah, buy that one. Because it's like, well, what color do you want it? What size is it? What bedman do you want it? So how do we streamline our interactions while still adding value? And 
what can technology do to add that and what can technology do to take that away? It's such an interesting point. And I love how we started this conversation by talking about controversial merch and the fact that it could be polarizing. And we end up in this fascinating conversation about (laughs) the technology and the technology available in our industry. So DTG and the e-commerce and eliminating inventory restrictions in some cases, how this has created this climate that I would say is overwhelmingly amazing for our industry. Mm -hmm. And it gives me so much optimism for what's ahead. And I think at the same time, there are some speed bumps, right? Like with this growth, with the fact that our business and our industry is sometimes reaching these levels of notoriety, that there are speed bumps along the way. And I think that we need to be mindful of that. I think it's a different podcast to talk about how one might apply guardrails to that sort of thing. I think that's a bit outside the scope of our podcast here. But overall, I look at what's happening on the world stage and I look at how merchandise has elevated itself to this position where it's literally moving communities and tribes of people in mostly great ways. Yes, in some ways, not so great, but mostly in great ways. I can tell you as someone who's been in the industry for the better part of 20 years, and Kate, I know, and Jeremy, each of you have been around for the same amount of time. This was a pokey little industry 20 years ago when I got into it. Nowhere near the technical sophistication, nowhere near the acceptance on the world stage. A lot of people were like, oh, you're the trinkets guy 20 years ago. Whereas now, you know, I can come in and I'm the person who's moving communities with merch. And that's amazing. So I know I've just said a bunch of things there. I wanted to move into some, maybe some closing remarks and ask the two of you what you think about the future of our industry, given some of the things we've talked about and maybe some of the things that we need to be cognizant of as we continue to grow. It's funny you say that, Mark, because I remember when I first met you, you were teaching a class on Twitter and how it's helped right sleeve oh, at the time. And I remember someone were, well, why would we do that? Why would we waste time on it? Not just like, my, how we have yeah, changed. That's right. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just sitting there going, why wouldn't you? (laughs) I'm optimistic for it. And I think one of the main reasons I think I am is that merchandise as a whole has been a proven fundraiser. And I think that, you know, you have organizations like Bernie giving to the Vermont food banks. You have the organization, well, they're called Room Raider. They're a pack, but they also, they're a Twitter account where they'll rate rooms like for journalists and politicians they're just like oh you got to have a frame up there you got to put a plant and they do a ton of fundraising with their merch right now which is kind of ridiculous but they've tied it it's the symbol of a pineapple so if you have pineapple in there they'll donate to an organization and so it's so organizations like that where you can see really good things happen and i think the technology has made that easy But I also think technology has made it that people have to be more thoughtful about what they do. And yes, speed to market is great, but be intentional. I think maybe we don't have gatekeepers. We just have aspirational people. So yeah, you can do DTG, but screen printing is the best one. And I think it really is, is that as long as we keep highlighting and raising up and showcasing the good aspects, I think our technology will only continue to make us better. Jeremy, you have the last word, my friend. Well said, Kate, you know, and 
your experience of being able to see your dad and that transition of where he started and where you're at now, you know, it's probably just, you know, fax me in order, you know, to now you yeah, can yeah, you yeah. can do it all on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think obviously the listeners of this podcast are ones that want to educate themselves, that want to improve not only their business, but help their clients and help the industry. So the people that are just only creating widgets, they're most likely not going to be listening to this. So I think one of the biggest things of seeing whether the good or bad of what we've seen in the last you know few months is we can always learn how the bad side of it took it and utilize that for our customers for good. So being able to see how that build community and again, you can take lessons from failures. And so seeing how they use merchandise, how it created community, how they use social media to grow that, and then how they used, you know, the finances to do whatever they did with it, you know, and taking those core principles because it worked. It worked for that, whether again, it's for the worst, <laughs> but it worked. And so how can we take that and apply it to our customers to say, hey, merchandise works. This is how you do it. This is how you can build your community. And I think the listeners here, again, are our tribe that we want to utilize our medium, whether you're the supplier or the distributor for good and to build our customers brand at the end of the day. Like you said, Mark, you went from product pushers to actually brand agencies doing merchandise. And so yep. I love how it's become integrated into the marketing campaign, you know, into people's digital funnels and digital marketing and promotional products or apparel for your company or brand yep. is is a vital part of that more than just lip service. It actually lets people take it from a thought and words to something tangible and tactile that they can share and show. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, it's nice to end the podcast on a positive note. You know, I think that we're making the comment that I think we need to be cautious and I think we need to be aware of some of the things that are happening. But at the end of the day, we have such an extraordinary opportunity to come out of this pandemic in such a strong way. And I just love the various points that we're talking about here on the podcast. And, and you know, as I say, we started off with talking about some controversial things and it's nice to end up in a positive place. Agreed. Jeremy, Kate, on behalf of the entire PK community, Thank you so much. This was absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Kate. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.